Well, as you can see, uh, this has been a very, very great weekend in the life of our student ministry. I, I say that, but it's really a great weekend in the life of our church. And uh, we just want to celebrate lives that were changed, but all glory goes to one person, and that's King Jesus. And listen, I, uh, it's, really, it's really encouraging you know, there's, there's, there's 300 teenagers here that could have chosen to be anywhere else this weekend. But they chose to come here and just submerge themselves in God's word. And then they're being led by college students who traveled a long way to come here to disciple them and I'm telling you, like, that gives me great encouragement, not for the future church, because they are the church. And so I applaud you guys. And I thank you. Now, I do have one bone to pick. My youngest son just told me he is heading back this afternoon with his small group leader to Auburn, to which I said, hard no. We don't go to Auburn in my house, ever. You, if it was any other campus, please take him. But Auburn, no, right? Totally kidding. Listen, um, it's been a great, great weekend. And listen, whereas we do not in any way want to deflect any glory from the Lord, I do want to say just a very quick thank you um, to Jeremy and Brianna Wylett and Corey and Abigail Young. They're over here. They, I'm telling you, like... Over the past few weeks, I have gotten many texts and many conversations where these four have been up to ridiculous hours in the morning with a newborn, by the way, um, planning and making, this doesn't just happen. And, uh, and so I'm thankful for those, uh, for that team. They're, they're absolutely amazing. And I wanna echo what Jeremy said and thank you for allowing the church to, to do these types of things. So as you can see from the video, from the shirts, our theme for uh, this weekend was breath. And through this time together and in, in large group worship and small group gatherings, we focused on the breath of God. And just so that everybody is on the same page as we move forward and kind of close this weekend out, I just want to just briefly share with uh, the rest of you kind of what we looked at this weekend. On Friday night when we started, we started off in Genesis chapter one and we focused in on the first breath that God breathed into our lungs and that after that breath, God declared we, his prized creation, were made in the image of God, the only thing in creation that can make that claim. And as we discussed Friday night, the problem happens when we move from Genesis 1 to Genesis 3 and we see how Adam and Eve actually used the very breath that God gave them. They used that breath instead of blessing God to curse him. And as a result, we now do the same thing. Thankfully, we serve a God who is gracious and compassionate and he came up with a rescue plan to save us from ourselves. And that rescue plan was prophesied in Genesis 3.15 where we get the first promise of Jesus. And every story in the Bible would flow out of this promise. 
Jesus would indeed come. Romans 5.14 tells us as a second version of Adam, a truer and better Adam who did what Adam and Eve should have withstood the temptation of Satan even though the stakes were higher and the temptation were stronger. And so that truth then led us to Saturday morning as we looked at the breath of our Savior. God indeed sent a rescuer through sending his son Jesus to be born into humanity and ultimately die in our place. The the breath of the divine filled the lungs of Jesus and the anointed breath of Jesus would change everything for the world. And these students spent time in small groups discussing how Jesus was not only the central part of Genesis 3, he is the central part of all scripture. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy that all scripture was God-breathed. And if we truly want to know him, then we have to study his word. And that truth is something that all of us need to be reminded of this morning. And then last night, we talked about the final breath of Jesus on this earth, the breath of salvation, when he said, it is finished. It is finished to telestai in the Greek, which means to bring to an end, to bring to completion, to accomplish. To telestai is the Savior's final cry of victory. When he died, he left no unfinished business behind. And when he used his last breath to say, it is finished, he was speaking the truth. But that was only part of the story. Because we're told in John 20 that Jesus didn't just die three days later after his death. He rose from the grave. And because of the resurrection, Jesus won. He defeated the cost of our sin, which is death. And because he beat death to tell us die. Which means it doesn't matter how many sins that you have piled up in your life. It doesn't matter how guilty you think you are. It doesn't matter what you've been doing this week. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. It doesn't matter how many skeletons rattle around in your closet because of what Jesus did on the cross. You can write to Telestai across whatever you bring before him. Now, I just gave you a five minute overview of the weekend and and honestly, we could just take that and we could just go home. But before we do that, I want us to spend a few minutes together looking at how Jesus used some of his first breath after his resurrection. Because I'm hoping by taking some time to see what was a priority for our Savior, then maybe we can be sharpened on how we all can better use our breath moving forward as we depart here this morning. So in John chapter 20, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. And then Jesus appears to some of the other disciples. And then he has this interaction with Thomas. However, for our time together this morning, I want us to turn to John 21. And I want us to look at the interaction between Jesus and Peter 
and the breath of new life that Jesus offers us. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to John 21. Now let me give you a real, uh, a real quick background here, what's happening between Peter and Jesus. In John 18, Jesus tells Peter that, hey man, like it's gonna go down here in a little bit and you're going to deny me three times to which Peter completely rejects that. Like, no man, there's not a chance I'm denying you, Jesus. I am all in. But then we read a few verses later that indeed Peter did deny Jesus. It's interesting. Peter's denial of Jesus is actually accounted for in all four gospels. In, in John's gospel here that we are, we, uh, we are in this morning, the description is a little bit scaled back. In Mark's account, on the third denial, when Peter denies Jesus a third time, Peter does so, the Bible tells us, by an oath, which is to show you how fearful he was of being associated with Jesus. But it's interesting, in Luke chapter 22, we are told that when Peter denied Jesus the third time, that the Lord looked and looked and stopped and looked at Peter. They locked eyes. Can you imagine a deeper pit of shame than to deny Jesus and then look up and see his face? Peter was humiliated and embarrassed and he knew that he had failed Jesus in just about the worst possible way. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you been there? Have you been there where Peter is? You made some big promises, but then you caved. You fell back into some of that same temptation that you've struggled with and you just start thinking, man, that's it. God's plan for me, over. If that's you, then John 21 is for you this morning. And so in this text, we're gonna look at three things that I hope will be an encouragement to you this morning. So let's read our text together. John 21, verses 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then tend my sheep. But then Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow 
me. First, in these verses this morning, we see Jesus' call to restoration. Jesus' call to restoration. There's something interesting that happens in this text. You see, Jesus begins to question Peter's love for him three times, actually. Verse 17 says that when Jesus asked him the third time, Peter became upset because Peter sees the correlation between the number of times Jesus is asking him this question of whether he loved him and the number of times that he had denied Jesus. In fact, Jesus appears to set this whole situation up to remind Peter of his failure. Now, I'm, I'm one of these guys who believe that every word of the Bible is important. And, and in this story, it's no different because there's something interesting that's also happening simultaneously here. So if you have your Bibles open, just glance back up to verse nine real quick. The Bible tells us that this interaction that Jesus and Peter are having is over a, or it's around a charcoal fire. It is not by accident that the breakfast is being cooked on a charcoal fire. Now, I, uh, let me ask you a question. Are, are there certain things that you smell in life that, that instantly brings a memory back up? For instance, for me, any time that I smell uh, like apple combined with cinnamon, like I immediately think about Christmas. For whatever reason, it just brings back Christmas memories for me. And so this is actually a real thing. It's, it's called, I'm probably gonna butcher this. It's called, an, it's called the olfactory memory, which is the recollection of odors. So obviously I looked this up online and, and I found the top 10 smells that will bring you back to your childhood. And so I'll just, of course, wanna share those with you this morning. <laughs> Number 10, freshly cut grass. Like when you smell grass that's freshly cut, it reminds you, it takes you back to maybe a memory of childhood. Pencil shavings. Now, these young bucks in front of us don't know anything about this, but for us older in here, you guys remember like the whole crank pencil thing, right? You smell those and you're like, that brings me back to like being in school. I remember those days. Baby powder. Like, I don't get that one, but maybe it's, maybe it's a thing for you, right? Vicks Vapor Rub, whenever you have that, it like brings back colds. You remember like when you used to could get a cold and then, you know, like we don't do that anymore. It's just COVID, but you, I, I, <laughs> April told me so much this morning. She said, don't say that, don't say that. And I, it just slipped out. I'm sorry, it's a joke, but it's also true. Anyway, Play-Doh. Play-Doh is another one, right? You crack open Play-Doh like it takes you back to childhood. Cotton candy, bonfires, suntan lotion, french fries, and then number one on the list, which was super interesting and I, I would have never thought about this, but number one on the list is a perfume that reminds you of your grandmother. Isn't that interesting? And I started thinking to myself, well, that actually makes a lot of sense. My grandmother didn't use a lot of perfume, but she sure did use a lot of Aquanet hairspray, right? <laughs> and 
I don't even know if Aquanet exists anymore. Clearly, I know nothing about hairspray. But I'm telling you, if one of you guys, like she used to cover it, and I'm telling you, if you use that, chances are strong that I'm gonna come try to hug you. Because it just brings, I mean, not in a creepy way, but like I just, it just brings back memories, right? Pay attention to the details of scripture. This is why we are told a specific detail about a charcoal fire because charcoal, like some of these other smells we just talked about, has a very distinct smell when you burn it. And Jesus asked Peter the question around a charcoal fire. Well, that's important because in John 18, one of the times that Peter had denied Jesus was around a charcoal fire. This was a reminder from Jesus And why is Jesus doing this? I mean, is this cruel? Is he trying to embarrass Peter? No, it's actually tenderness. You see, Jesus is trying to show Peter that basis of his acceptance is not in his performance. Jesus' love and his acceptance are given as gifts based on his own finished work. He was restoring Peter. And friend, if the gospel has one agenda in your life, it is to convince you that your performance is not the basis of your acceptance before God. The biggest enemy to the gospel is self-sufficiency. Peter, uh, Jesus wants Peter to learn that. And so he forces Peter to embrace his failure so that he can tap into Jesus's love and restoration. And listen, that's important because you can only pour God's grace into other people when you are filled with it yourself. And Peter's failures would put him in touch with God's grace and God's grace is where a leader's real strength comes from. You see, for Peter, his relationship to God has always been about working, about proving himself and being the best. But Jesus is not asking Peter to prove anything. Jesus actually came to Peter. The relationship was broken, yet Jesus still comes to him. This is the beginning of the gospel where your sin doesn't make you fear God and wanna run away from him. Instead, you sense the tenderness and love of the father and you want to be close to him. The gospel is that that Jesus has given you his acceptance as a gift. The work is complete and the restoration is there for the taking. And listen, there can be the slightest doubt that that this incident that we're talking about means the restoration of Peter to his position of leadership. You see, when he denied his Lord three times in the face of his enemies, he acted in a way unworthy of a follower of Jesus. But now... Three times, he's been given the opportunity of acknowledging his love for his Lord. And three times, he has been commissioned to act as a pastor to the flock. It was a clear distinction between, before the other disciples, that Peter was restored to his place of leadership. But there's a second thing here that we can be encouraged by in this text this is Jesus' call to comfort. Jesus called a comfort. Now, at first, uh, this sounds incorrect because Jesus does not call us to a life of comfort. But there is great comfort in knowing that because of the restoration offered to us through Jesus, that he will be with you 
regardless of your circumstance. Peter experienced this in verses 18 and 19, where the Bible says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this, he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Those, who've, uh, those who want to be used significantly in God's service must be willing to make greater sacrifices for the Lord that they serve. And for Peter, it was pretty clear what sacrifice God was calling him. The, the stretching referenced in verse 18 occurred when a, when a condemned man was tied to the horizontal crossbar and compelled to carry his cross to the place of execution. One theologian says it this way, Jesus almost certainly refers not merely to an unspecified martyr's death on the part of Peter in the future, but more specifically to martyrdom by crucifixion, the same kind of death that he himself had suffered. You know, this, this text sheds light really on the more cryptic reference in John 13, 36, where Jesus has said to Peter, where I'm going, you can't follow me, but you will follow later. You see, Peter follows Christ, not only in the kind of death he suffers, but also in bringing glory to God, which begs the question of us, what sacrifices are you willing to make for the glory of God? You see, many times we are hesitant to make significant sacrifices because we don't want to step into an awkward situation. But here's the thing that we have to remember. Jesus never said things like, follow your heart, follow your dreams, go with your gut, as long as you're happy. Now, Jesus didn't say stuff like that. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Friends, it's not about our comfort. It's about bringing glory to Jesus. But I don't, I don't know about you, but the times in my life that I have been the most uncomfortable but obedient are the times when I have experienced the Lord's sweetest comfort and peace in my life. When I first came to know, what I would say I first came to know the Lord, like I, uh, I was like 21 years old and I, I was like, okay, like I'm gonna get, in, get back in the word, like and I'm gonna get in church and start doing all these Bible studies and was really involved with our, our college ministry and just really starting to grow in my, my relationship with the Lord. And I decided during that time, well, I probably should learn some tools on like telling people about Jesus, right? And so back then, we had this evangelism strategy that we were going through in our church called, it was called the faith uh, evangelism strategy. I don't know if some of you have heard of it, but it's this idea of you spell out the word faith and the acronym of faith using your hand. So it's F-A-I-T-H. And the idea was F stands for forgiveness. A stands for available, which means forgiveness is available for all. And then I stands for impossible, which means according to the Bible, it's impossible for us to get to heaven 
which then takes us to T, which stands for turn. We are to turn away from sin. We're to turn away from ourselves. with the ultimate destination being H, which stood for heaven. And so the idea is you come in and you, you get together as a team and you grow, go out in pods of three and you go knock on people's doors and you like would sit down with them and you would, you would ask this question as you're talking. Like, hey, so tell me, what do you think it takes for someone to get to heaven? And then you get their response and you say to them something to the effect of, well, that's, that's great. Can I, can I share something with you that has helped me in the past? And so you, I've got an acronym for it. And you pull out your hand, F-A-I-T-H, and you start walking them through this thing, right? Sounds super simple. So I go sit down and we'd gone through a several of these. Well, the first time that I was like the lead, I have these two other people with us. We go sit down in this lady's, um, in this lady's living room and I, I say to her, you know, I'm getting pumped up. I'm scared to death. Like I'm, my hands are just sweaty. I'm just like, oh, what's happening? And I said, I said to her, I was like, so what do you know about God? And she says, he's up there. Like that was the response. There was no, there was the first person I ever met, sadly, in my entire life that had no like something, right? There was no biblical knowledge, no idea what the Bible was, no idea, never heard of Jesus. It was just God's up there. And so what do you, what do you, what's it take to get to heaven? And, and she said something. I was like, well, let me share with you. And I started this thing, right? And so I'm like coming from memory. F, F is for forgiveness, which takes us to A, a is available. Forgiveness is available for all. And, and, um, and then I, um, I stands for, um, I, I's for like igloo because like hell's hot and we want to be the opposite of that. So we're going to, call, you know, I don't know, like, and T is, is for, um, and I, I just butchered it and I'm starting to sweat. And I'm like, I, I, I said, ma'am, did you know Jesus died for you? I mean, he just threw it out there. I was like, Jesus died for you. And let me tell you how he, how he changed my life. And I just went through it and, and it was crazy. She actually accepted Jesus that night. And it was, it was the most bizarre thing. She said, yes. And I was like, wait, are you serious? Like, did you just hear this? Like, my point is this. We're not going for comfort. We're going for obedience. And that's all the Lord needs. He can take our messed up words and our messed up thoughts and every approach that we come and he, he does the work. We just have to be obedient. And listen, friends, I got some good news for you. Chances are pretty good that you are not going to be crucified during your lifetime. Chances are pretty good. But you may have to face some resistance in your life in order to bring God glory. You may have to. Your desire should be one to love Jesus supremely and love his people and you show it by doing something. And we should not overlook the fact that in this expression of confidence in Peter, the one thing Jesus asks concerns his love. He doesn't ask Peter about his leadership abilities. He doesn't ask Peter about his capacity to preach or his understanding of the gospel or anything except this. Peter, do you love? And in God's church today, we are apt to pay attention to a lot, a number, a great number of qualities before we even think of love. 
It would be very beneficial for us to reflect on the place of love in the New Testament understanding of Christianity. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, the greatest of these is love. We should reflect this more than what we do. Are you willing to do that? So, so far we've seen this interaction between Jesus and Peter and Jesus' call to restoration. Jesus' call to comfort. And finally, Jesus' call to mission. See, Jesus, John rounds off this section of the narrative with Jesus' command to Peter in verses nine, verse 19 when he simply says, follow me. There's a theologian named Leon Morris. He points this out. It says the present tense is used and that normally has a continuous sense. In this place, it would mean keep on following me. And that's important to know because in the past, Peter's following of Jesus had been somewhat erratic. Sometimes it had been very, very right, but then sometimes it had been very, very wrong. And Jesus is commanding him to keep on following him. Consistency, Faithfulness, that is an important part of discipleship. Faithfulness is a key to being a Christian. It causes you to work hard for the gospel, but with an entirely different spirit than what Peter had shown in the past. You see, followers of Jesus work hard, not in order to be accepted by God, but because they have been accepted by God. Christians work hard not to earn God's approval, but because they already have it and they love him in response. Christians work hard, not because Jesus needs them, but because they delight to co cooperate with Jesus in his mission to reach the world. And they want to offer themselves for the world as he has offered himself for them. You see, Jesus chose Peter to lead his church, not despite of his failures, but because of his failures. Because his failures were his gateway to grace. And the same is true for everyone in this room. You see, the enemy schemes to keep us from this type of relationship with Jesus and to take our failures and try to distract us with them. We're of no use because of this. But the gospel invitation is to rest in Jesus, to put faith in the gospel, to rest in his love. And these words must have brought new joy and love to Peter's heart. And we know by reading the book of Acts that Peter indeed took up the call. Jesus' call to Peter is the same call for us. Follow me. Jesus says, follow me regardless of your past. Every person in this room has something in our past that we're not proud of. Every one of us. But listen, regardless of the situation in your past, hear me clearly this morning, you are not defined by that. 
The text shows us there is always redemption. There's always restoration. So Jesus says, follow me regardless of the past. But he also says, hey, follow me regardless of the cost. And you make no mistake about it. Following Christ will cost you something. But can I tell you something? It is so worth it. It is so worth it. His comfort will be right there with you. And then Jesus also says, hey, follow me regardless of what anyone else does. And this is a big one, primarily because we all like to feel accepted. We all like that. And when you walk out of these doors in just a few minutes, you are stepping into a world where being a follower of Christ is in the vast minority of people. But that doesn't change your calling. It doesn't change the standard that God had called his followers. So as we get ready to close, I want to leave you with a challenge that I've been putting in front of myself lately. Now, I know that this comes as no surprise to you, seeing as you've been looking at me for the past 30 minutes, but I'm pretty buff. Just an absolute unit. I mean, I get it, okay? But what is equally as shocking is that this isn't natural. Like I go to the gym almost every morning and I enjoy working out and I I enjoy the people I work out alongside of, but recently I've started thinking about the gym a little differently. I've started asking myself this question. How am I using the gym for the glory of Jesus? And so I've tried to be very strategic in my conversations, very strategic in in my relationship building, paying attention to people, seeing them, having conversations, actually listening to what's going on in their lives, being very intentional. And through that, there have been some really cool stories, some really great opportunities that the Lord has opened up to me. You see, I don't wanna go to the gym just to go to the gym. I wanna go to the gym with a purpose. And the same is true for you this morning. It might not be the gym for you, but maybe it's a mindset that you adopt going back into your classroom this week. Maybe it's a mindset you develop as you step back in to teach in that classroom or administer, whatever, you're, whatever the case may be. Maybe it's not school for you, but maybe it's your office at work. Or maybe it's your trip to Publix. Or maybe it's your daily stop at Starbucks. I don't know your daily routine, but I know this. We could all be reminded this morning to do everything on purpose. Everything on purpose, because that's the mission we've been called to. It's remarkable that Jesus used some of his first breath after the resurrection to restore a broken relationship, to put that life back on mission for his glory. Friends, none of us deserve that gift, but we've all been offered it. I've heard it said that perhaps the hardest thing in Christianity to do is to embrace the free, unmerited nature of God's love. Christ's righteousness given to you as a gift, undeserved. 
But that is the gospel. And for some of you, your spiritual life has always been about performance. And you need to be reminded again that we must decrease so that he may increase. You want to increase your faith? Then friends, stretch out your hands to him in total surrender because he really is all that you need.